Hello and welcome to another episode of They Don't Teach This in Law School, specifically one of the coffee sodes, one of our mini episodes between the main interviews. Uh, I'm your host, Charlie Mann of Law Firm Alchemy, and I want to talk with you about making the old new again. And I was inspired uh, to talk about this because I was going through some really old uh, collections of works, specifically in this case by Jerry Buchanan. And in it, it's got a bunch of these Towers Club letters that Jerry wrote, and he's talking and opining on some political issues, or not even opining on them so much as bringing up some of the uh, discussions that are going on in uh, big political rooms. And it's so interesting to see how things echo into our present from the past. So in this case, he's he's talking about uh, an investment letter. And specifically, it's an investment letter that is discussing uh, ecologically sound investing practices. This is something that has become very common these days. There are entire uh, funds that trade on uh, through companies that have positive climate impact or whatever it might be, using blue sign produced materials, etc. But you look at this, and this is from 1992. In 1992, uh, I'm going I'm to read it here. This, again, this is Jerry's uh, words. I don't usually join the investments crowd or read these high-powered letters, but this one that just came across my desk caught my eye and had that thing I referred to a while back as verisimilitude, the ring of truth. It's an eight-page DM letter, direct marketing, letter promoting Franklin Sanders' newsletter, The Eco-Profiteer. The headline reads, The ecology movement is destroying American industry. You can curse it or get rich off it. Sanders claims to be able to explain to you how the rich industrialists use the environmentalists to their own best advantage and to the competition's disadvantage. In, in the middle is a stock investor's dream if he doesn't mind sleeping with the pigs. If interested, write and ask for information on The Eco-Profiteer, the hold-your-nose guide to environmental investing. First off, what an amazing little tag. Uh, the hold your nose guide to uh, profiting off the environmentalist movement or whatever it was. I just said it. I set the notebook down by me. I can't even see it anymore. But so many marketing lessons in there. First off, how to uh, make the enemy your friend in this scenario. But also it shows how themes continue throughout history. And the reason I bring this up is because when we try and seek these random points of data, like, oh, the most famous one is people, uh, people these days, they only have six second attention spans. No, they don't. Do you know how many people watch uh, long form television shows? Shows that used to be 20 minutes are now 35, 40 minutes in length. And people are sitting through these entire episodes. Radio just became podcast. People are still listening to that. No, oh, by the way, people still listen to terrestrial radio in their cars. I saw a stat recently, uh, and I actually sent it over to Gary Sarner of ROI 360, a radio advertising expert. And the stat was even in cars that have CarPlay and Android Auto installed in them, nearly 50% of people are still listening to terrestrial radio. What is old becomes new in one way or another. If you want to be great at marketing, if you want to be great at leadership, 
study the oldies but goodies. Every now and then, new works come along, and I, I'm, I'm really not besmirching the the modern books that come out. I am besmirching the fact that there is a glut of them. Often, they have very little to say, and I say that looking at uh, B.J. Fogg's book, Tiny Habits. I like B.J. Fogg, but why are we writing any habits book after Atomic Habits was produced, right? Um so looking at all these old concepts, it's why the number one book that I recommend time and time again is Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. The core principles live in there. But even in, in marketing, going back and studying the old infomercials, what are the rhythms of the old infomercial? I would challenge you today to go on YouTube, this wonderful wide world of information that is a back catalog of infomercials and study an infomercial. What does it need to do in the two minutes that it aired on a television station that would get someone to pay attention, not go and walk to the kitchen, not go and walk to the bathroom during the commercial break, and instead pay attention because they were interested in what techniques, what strategies, what tactics are they using to pull you in? That is how we design a YouTube pre-roll ad today. It doesn't need to be new and fanciful and some strategy that's uh, conjured up out of the blue. As a matter of fact, one of the best YouTube advertisers, Alaric Heck, he's a guy who his his YouTube strategy looks very similar to the information, uh, to the infomercials of old. When you look at the infomercials from, uh, say, Dr. Squatch, which is a soap brand, they all use this similar structure of a, a massive hook right up front, so that way you don't skip away from the ad, uh, engaging vis uh, visuals, and then they're going to use oftentimes testimonials. They're going to build social proof, and they're going to have a concrete great offer that gets you started, that moves you away from the medium you are on to a place where they can better control the conversation. Can they get you to click over to a website? Infomercials, can they get you to pick up the phone and get engaged in that conversation? Person on the other line, their job is to make sure that the caller off the infomercial gets hooked and doesn't go back to their television show, which by the way, one great advantage there is they're connecting with an actual human being. Uh, the advantage on the internet side for us is we have better control over what they're going to see and the experience they're going to get because there isn't a human being, right? All of these have their different advantages, but are all built from the same concepts. It's why you need to study, yes, modern marketers like an Alaric Heck, uh, like a Sultanic. Um, however, you cannot ignore what the people of the past were putting together. You know, there's Kevin Harrington out there who calls himself the, the godfather of the infomercial. I don't really buy that having done some study of infomercials, but he has a modest claim to it. Okay, go find uh, infomercials that Kevin Harrington produced. See what he was doing early on with those. Dan Kennedy was a producer of infomercials. The original Unleash the Power Within, which is now a mega seminar, these were produced or these these drew people in through television commercials and the same strategies still apply. And by the way, the really fun part is the really old stuff. So few people are duplicating those concepts, duplicating the style of headlines or the actual uh, material within that you can get away with a really strong swipe and deploy. Obviously, we're not going to violate copyright, trademark, etc., but you can get really close to taking those messages. Now, you're probably going to say, well, Charlie, in the legal industry, we've only been able to do this advertising stuff for 
40, 50 years, less than 50 years now, right? So we don't have that same back catalog. That's fine because people still care about the same issues. Getting back to that original statement of, of politics just echoes through time. People are still fighting over the same stuff um, nominally that they were fighting over decades ago. There's obviously always big issues that come along that may be unique to a generation, but that represents 10% of the issues that ever get discussed. So what does this mean? This means that themes of human beings stay the same. The feeling of economic pressure, that's universal. It doesn't crop up just in an economic recession. It doesn't crop up because of a stock market crash. It happens every single day, which is why there are people marketing to that category over and over and over and over again. And by the way, people who have legal pressure may very well have financial pressure and they need your help to deal with the medical bills, right? That's, that's part of what they seek you out for is financial restitution for an error that put their life off track, which by the way, then I'm going to go and look at uh, uh, self-help personal development advertisements. Because if we really get cued in on the human need for someone, I'm thinking about family law, bankruptcy, et cetera, where we're about to have a massive transition point in life. Okay, what are the best self-help ads from the 70s and 80s saying that are compelling messages? Where can I get the swipe file for some of the biggest self-help events, biggest self-help programs, et cetera, that were going on? And so now I can look at, wow, this is the language that people are looking for when they are at a transition point in life, right? And this is, this is where we walk away from, I'm only observing my industry. And instead I'm saying, what is happening to the human being? Period of transition, financial pressure. These are universal themes. As a matter of fact, we can make the argument that all you need to focus on is transition in life because that that's a lot of what you're doing. Even in estate planning, it is often built on some form of transition in life. I have I've had my first kid. Uh, I'm starting to travel more and handling the concept of getting on a plane and recognizing my mortality and what would happen if this plane goes down and, uh, you know, the financial future for my wife and kids and, oh my gosh, you know, now I think I might need to get serious about this stuff. And, oh, a parent passed away recently and that meant dealing with their own will and estate, which I haven't done. I mean, I'm being irresponsible. These are the thoughts that create transition in a period of transition. When you stop thinking that people are wildly unique, because by the way, you know who, you know who has a six second attention span, every 20 year old ever in history, every 17 year old, every 14 year old, they all have six second attention spans. We all had that back when we were that age because our brains are not fully formed. Your brain isn't fully formed until the age of 25. So saying that, oh, you know, it's, it's, it's just this generation. They have terrible attention spans. Look, I'd also make the argument who's putting the technology in the hands of these younger generations. They certainly didn't make it for themselves. So if we created the problem for ourselves, we probably should stop complaining about it and figure out a way around it or recognize that it turns out people have an unlimited attention span. For when you're interesting, when you're speaking to important themes, and now we can wrap it up in a veneer of 
modern pop culture of terms, references, et cetera, that they understand that may not be endemic to our own generations, but they don't have a six second attention span. I'll, I'll tell you what, I've been around plenty of people who are shoot up in their eighties, even who have a very short attention span. You would be astonished at the percentage of people who are in their late sixties and early seventies who spend in an, an extraordinary amount of time flipping through short form videos on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, etc. The six second attention span is a fallacy to say that all of a sudden we've become a generation of goldfish just isn't true. It's that we are ignoring the core human needs and mistaking a desire to watch uh, trick shot videos from Dude Perfect as being the direct corollary for what we should be doing in our marketing. That's not it. There's more noise, but we can, we can cut through the noise. We can be the signal in the noise if we are focused on speaking the right message to the right people at the right time in their lives. Study the old, study, study the greats that came before us, pay close attention to what created some of the biggest uh, books, some of the biggest movements, some of the biggest groups that still exist today. And then you'll be putting yourself on a path to long, sustainable growth in your law firm. I feel like I have just hit the ramp button and run with it, <laughs> but I was really inspired reading these, these towers letters, um, from Buchanan. Uh, and so I, I just, I had to share this, you know, go back and, and find these types of works. And, uh, I will also say that there are some brand new programs coming down the pike from law firm alchemy. And I won't say what they are just yet. Not, not in public space, but if you are interested in having a conversation about what is happening soon, and if you would like to uh, be in a space with a smaller group of committed, driven individuals, uh, then reach out to me. Just reach out to me. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn. You can uh, shoot me an email. There'll probably be some form of contact information around here uh, and reach out. We'll find an opportunity to have that discussion. All right. And with that, I will see you in the next episode of They Don't Teach This in Law School.